Welcome to Careers and Mental Health Conversations. This is the podcast where we discuss career counselling, career guidance, mental health awareness and mental health training in the workplace. With your hosts, Patrick, Sally, Tina and Amy. Welcome to Careers and Mental Health Conversations. My name's Tina Winchester and today I'm joined by the wonderful Nick Sutherland. Thank you for joining us, Nick. Thanks, Tina, for having me on. It's a pleasure. I'm really excited to, to have this conversation with you. Um, so, Nick, you're from uh, MindFit. Can you tell us a little bit about MindFit for those listeners that, that don't know about it? I can. Uh, MindFit is um, a company I've just relaunched. So prior to being MindFit, it was called State of Mind Health. So I'm a lived experienced mental health practitioner. And for the past 10 years, I've been working with people to overcome emotional trauma to help them to to get back on their feet and moving forward, uh, which I loved and, and which was very important. But recently, I just decided there had to be a way to help people before they got into that space. So, um, yeah, I changed my business model, uh, rebranded as MindFit, and basically it does what it says it is. It, it helps people become mentally stronger and fitter and healthier and we specialise in teaching people self-management strategies and, and learning to think their way through situations and to, to stay in their power and choose how they respond instead of just reacting to, to everything. So yeah, keeping their mental health in a, in a positive state. Fabulous. I love it. So um, as I said before, we actually started this. I've been stalking you on the internet and social media, and you've got a fabulous story. Um, can you share some of your story with us in terms of how, you know, you got to a position where you wanted to to help mentor people in terms of keeping their minds mentally fit? I think it, it starts with my mum's a palliative care nurse. So from her, I guess, uh, um, I've developed, uh, I'm not developed, I was pretty much born and raised as an empathetic sort of person, caring and, and fairly sensitive. I had a, a stepfather who was quite an alpha male and for years he'd keep telling me to stop being so bloody sensitive. And it wasn't until recently that I learned that I'm not sensitive from an ego perspective but more sensitive to my surroundings and, and to my environment and to how people are feeling. So, um, in fact, it's a, it's a good thing to be sensitive in that regard. But being so sensitive in that, in that context, I guess, I didn't know how to protect myself. And so I had a, my, my dad, um, my biological dad was um, undiagnosed manic depressive back then, which is bipolar. Uh, so he was self-medicating with drugs and alcohol. Uh, Can I stop yeah. you on that? So um, how did the determination come about that it was undiagnosed bipolar disorder was it just the, what you know now when you kind of look back and you think I can see now what what was going on there it's so about before I started doing what I'm doing now I, I went through one of my two rock bottoms um, I've got a childhood rock bottom and then a, an army rock bottom and the childhood rock bottom, I, I turned up at mum's doorstep and I was just lost and confused and I didn't know which part of me was me, which part of me was my biological dad, which part of me was my stepdad. And, and so I went to mum and I had, a, I had a big breakdown. I had a, a massive um, 
emotional release and she was telling me, you know, that everything that happened isn't my fault and and whatnot. And my conscious mind was going, yeah, I know, but then the subconscious mind must have resonated with what she was saying and, and I was like, okay. And it was, it was a strange thing that every emotional scar that I had um, and I can only describe it as it was toxic and pussy and poisonous and, and when I had that huge release with mum, uh, it was like it was all flushed out. And I remember looking at mum and she's just smiling at me and I'm like, what you smile at me for? I'm, <laughs> and I, it was such a painful experience. And she's like, I've just, I've just been waiting for this day. So from that I get to, I guess, change the lens that I had and change the, the perspectives that I had. So I learned from mum and my sister and those that knew dad better than I did because he left when I was three. So I learned from them that he was um, undiagnosed and, and self-medicating with drugs and alcohol. So, so you, you, your dad was um, undiagnosed with bipolar disorder, self-medicating, and, and how was that for you as a child growing up? Yeah, in, in the experience, it wasn't very very nice at all. He sort of leave my sister and I at the pub, just forget about us because he was so drunk. And and this isn't. Um, I don't want this to come across as a woe is me no, story. It doesn't. It's, it's, it's definitely not, but it's just the facts and the reality of the time. So, and yeah, there was there was lots of violence, and you know, being a little three year old, you, you're pretty powerless to to stop anything and um, to do anything. So, yeah, at the time, I I can't remember a lot of things. I can't remember a lot of happiness or anything. Um, but as I said, going through and talking to mum and my sister once I'd had that big release, it was I was able to learn new things. Uh, I was more open-minded and, and able to to process and absorb and take on, on different experiences and learn more about my biological dad and learn that he loved us. And he was, you know, I was able to to become, to use my empathetic skills and to put myself in his shoes. And, and I started wondering, wonder what it would be like to be a father of two, you know, I'll call us beautiful little kids, um, and to not be able to show them that you love them, to not be able to express to them how you feel about them through your actions and your words because of, of a mental illness. So looking at it through his eyes and from his perspective, I... I yeah, I was able to really connect and, and you know, easily forgive him for yeah for for that experience. Yeah, see, and that that's that's really interesting. I, I remember reading on one of the uh, one of your websites that one of the things that you you took away was acceptance and forgiveness, and that you take that into your, all facets of your life now. Well, yeah, I think um, working with clients now, you know. My clients are stuck and and um, I, I don't tend to work as a therapist per se anymore. I'm, I'm more in a, working in an educational manner, um, definitely with a therapeutic tone, but th- there's just there's a gap in people's knowledge. And so if I can empower them with some tools and resources, then that's only going to help them. One of those tools is the, you know, the keys to your own freedom is, is acceptance and forgiveness. Um, and that wasn't anything I learnt in a manual or sitting in a classroom. That was you know, through my own lived experience, and and realised how before you know all the knowledge in the world is useless without being able to apply it. So if you don't have that freedom to 
to apply um, what it is that you know, then you're sort of going to stay stuck and become toxic and bitter and twisted and and all of those things. So, yeah, it was a difficult lesson to learn, um, but now it's yeah something I use every day. It's it's um, quite a powerful tool that I have in the, in the toolbox. It's fabulous, a fabulous tool to to have in your toolbox for sure. So tell me then, after um, you had the experience with your mum, where where did your life take you then? To all sorts of funny places. It's funny. That's what I'm interested in. Yeah, my friends who know me. So I I turned up to Mornington. I ended up down here um, with the girl, and she ended up going home. Uh, She was from overseas, and her visa ran out. So I was sort of stranded in Mornington, no job, and no anything really, and. Got, got working in a few pubs and whatever and met some blokes. And, and so the group of friends that I had when I first got down here knew the version of me that turned up then, and it was a very emotionally immature version. You know, through school and everything, I was always a class clown and always trying to make people laugh. And, and I used to remember stealing things um, and giving them to people to try and you know, make them my friends and everything. I had no confidence or self-esteem or self-worth or anything as, as a kid and to protect myself from getting bullied I'd, I'd you know, do all these things to, to make people like me and so here I am in, in Mornington and sort of no direction no anything and and then when I had that experience with mum and it, it was really weird it took me a few days to, to sort of come back together yeah uh, and I've since learnt this this amazing word called metanoia and metanoia means uh, literally means it's a psychological breakdown and then rebuild. Right. And um, so, what, 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 where's metanoia from? Is it because I know that you follow Buddhism and um, the Stoic philosophy? Is that that's right? Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, no, but that's, I don't know. No, it's it's a ancient Greek word, I think. So it's, yeah. um, it just popped up, you know, in my life, and, and it resonated with me. And I was like, yeah, that, that makes sense. So, yeah, my friends refer to the old Nick and the, and the new Nick, and the new Nick's much more oh, aware and evolved and uh, a lot deeper than I was. And um, But I, I didn't have the capacity to be anything other than what I was because I had all that toxicity and, and glass ceiling sort of. My, my emotional growth was retarded in a very literal sense. So I had that talk with mum and it was like breaking free from prison. And, yeah, I just started on a different path and and I found my way into working with people with um, physical and, and mental disabilities as a, trying to help them get back into work. And from there I was reading an article trying to, in the job section trying to find a, a job for a client and person was talking about hypnotherapy and stop smoking and I was a smoker at the time and uh, that piqued interest for some reason and a couple of phone calls later and suddenly I was enrolled in doing certificate four in clinical hypnotherapy and counselling. Um, so I studied that while I was still working and and then um, and then while while that was happening I guess I had my second breakdown which was from the army. So yeah, that's that's another story. But from from there, then then all of this sort of grew. So and do you still use the hypnotherapy now? Is that is something is that a go to technique for you? I don't use it in the 
the sense that I learnt it, I guess it's my understanding now is simply we work on a conscious and a subconscious level, like internal and external, and our internal world creates our external world. So there's actually no such thing as hypnotherapy. There's hypnosis, which is an altered state of consciousness, and then there's the therapy that you can perform while someone's in that altered state. So I don't do the yeah all the, all the typical hypnosis thing. I just get someone to close their eyes and you know, guided meditation visualization it's all the same thing really Uh, and even you know i can think back uh god 15 years maybe in mental health services in the uk hypnotherapy was a was a go-to um approach uh, alongside medications talking therapies i mean it's uh, there's definitely something in it i mean i look at it as a a vehicle and some it's not a magic wand by any means but i find it so effective because Instead of sitting there talking with people on a conscious level, they're going to analyse and justify and criticise. Where as soon as you get them, I had a client yesterday, uh, and people come into these aha moments so much easier when they've got their eyes closed because then their mind automatically slows down. They don't have to process all the stimulus that their eyes are seeing and, and they go into a more relaxed state and all of a sudden uh, you know, I explain to them that, they go, why do we do a lot of work with our eyes closed? And I'm like, well, that's where you gain insight. But when you have your eyes open, you have an outlook. So, um, yeah, we want to change your perception to change your reality. So we're going to do that by helping you to gain some insight and to, to start solving your own problems. So what kind of people do you get through your door? And obviously I'm not ex- wanting to break confidences or anything like that would never do that but but what 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 kind of issues do you find are most common that that people come and talk to you about now you said that people are often stuck um is there any particular areas of their lives that you find that they're stuck in no the the way my work's evolved it, it sort of comes back down to um before you can be successful in any components of your life you have to be successful within yourself so you know, people come in and say, oh, you know, my problem is that I'm fighting with my girlfriend or I'm unhappy at work or whatever. And I'm like, that. I, I recognise what you're saying, but that's that's actually the effect. The cause is something completely different. So I'm very much working with cause to change the effect. So let's acknowledge that and validate that. They are real problems for you, but let's leave them there and let's work on, um, on the, the actual core reason for, for why you are unhappy. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, my clients turn up with all sorts of things, but it all boils down to these five fundamental things which I've learned through my own experiences and through, you know, having seen hundreds of clients over the last 10 years. And I just I try and keep it simple uh, and logical and, and you know, my clients sit there and they go, oh, it's, it's common sense. And I'm like, well, it's sense, but it's not common because a lot of people, a lot of people just don't have the tools and resources that they need to manage you know, themselves and, and you know when life happens. So, uh, yeah, people sort of say, oh, "What area do you specialise in?" And um, it's more just you know, self-management. It's more like getting you on track and teaching you how to manage life instead of letting life dictate how you feel. What are the five um, thing, core things that, that you find it boils down to? So the first one is people don't make themselves a priority. Uh, they, 
Now, when people say I feel great um, because I'm on top of things, and that's a that's a very literal expression. And more often than not, I'll ask someone what's your priority list, and your, your listeners can do this if they want, and, and just start writing down. You now we've got friends, family, work, uh, hobbies. What are your priority lists? And most people, women, will tend to go kids, uh, and then work, and then hubby, then the house, then friends. Uh, and my question is, well, uh, where are you? And oh yeah, and then me. So they're actually an afterthought. Uh, and so when you're an afterthought, when you're at the bottom of your priorities, and priorities are just just ways that we invest our time and energy. So when you're an afterthought, then you're going to become reactive because everything gets to dictate how you feel. And when you're reactive, you need to cope. And when you cope, you need coping mechanisms. And alcohol, cigarettes, gambling, Facebook for long periods of time, binging on Netflix, um, you know, all these wonderful coping mechanisms that make us feel better. Uh, but if we're relying on something to make us feel better, then we're, we're working in a disempowered way. So the first priority is to make yourself uh, a priority, or the first fundamental is to make yourself a priority, and then to sort of recognise that you are responsible for your happiness. No one else was put on this earth to make you happy. So in that, you have to learn how to meet your own basic human needs and become emotionally self-sufficient. Basic human needs, uh, we have a, a sense of um, empowerment so that we get to make a choice, um, a sense of belonging so we feel connected, a uh, sense of freedom that's financial, it's physical, that's emotional, it's communication. You know, when people say, oh, they're in a relationship and I'm walking on eggshells, uh, there's a, a their sense of freedom has been compromised, so um, they're too afraid to, to act. Fun, people stop having fun and laughing and learning to laugh at themselves. Uh, too many people beat themselves up and call themselves an idiot instead of just laughing and moving on. Uh, and the last one is just a, the last of the needs is a, just a, a, a deep sense of whatever happens, we're going to be okay, this sense of survival. So get them in charge of sort of making themselves a priority, helping them to meet their own basic needs. Um, and then looking at the relationships they're in. So look at are you in toxic sort of codependent relationships or are you in healthy interdependent relationships? Um, because if you become – so if someone spends 10 years leaning against a wall and the wall falls down, they're going to fall down with the wall. So um, we try and teach people, yeah, lean against the wall to take a break but then stand back up and, and keep walking. Um, Belief system is a huge one. As I said, my, my personal experience, I had a very limiting belief system. It created this emotional immaturity, lots of glass ceilings, lots of I can't, so lots of I'm not worthy. So our, our belief system is like our computer's operating system. And if you punch in two plus two um, and your belief system's out of whack, it's going to equal orange. And yet you walk around with an expectation that it should equal four. And when it when the reality doesn't meet your expectation, then once again we go into suffering. And then the last one is thinking styles. So, uh, so many people fall into these very unhelpful and unhealthy thinking styles where they catastrophize, blow things out of proportion, um, crystal ball, um, use the word should a lot, or you know, very black and white thinking. 
So yeah, those, I mean, it's it's pretty condensed there, but it's it's um, yeah, everything sort of boils back to if someone comes in and says this is my problem, we can very easily and quickly identify the actual cause of that. So CBT based um, for that that element, then looking at that kind of black and white thinking, catastrophizing, mind reading stuff. So you know, I started with hypnotherapy and then I found CBT and uh, you know just general counselling, reflecting things back to people very gently and reframing. So a bit of NLP um, in there, um, and I love the work of William Glasser. Um, so it's got choice theory and reality therapy, and um, so those things were great. But then, you know, I, I realised I was an accidental Buddhist as well. So although I, I just came across these Buddhist philosophies and realised I was actually living some of them without even knowing what they were. Uh, and the same with Stoicism, um, Stoic philosophy, and learning things through that. It's all it all comes back to. Uh, yeah, and even Viktor Frankl's work, it, it all it all repeats itself. And I sort of laugh when when everyone's after the latest research or the latest study says and the latest this, the latest that, and it's all evidence based. And I don't subscribe to that because I, I look for what's tried and tested and what's stood the test of time. You've got these philosophies that have existed for thousands of years, and and they're still so relevant to these times so it just makes sense to me to to incorporate those into what I do so w- when did you discover your um oh, I don't know if this is going to be the right word allegiance to um Buddhism because that's that's such a a huge kind of leap from y- your military experience I can't imagine that there'd be many people with the military <laughs> that would follow that kind of philosophy and embrace it in, in such a way so how did that come about did you meet someone that kind of taught you the teachings or or was it you know self-research when you were looking for things that you felt would would benefit you in some way how did that happen well I, I just yeah found, came across um Buddhist philosophy and and then through that found meditation, I tried a few different types of meditation and none of them seemed to work. And then I went and did a 10-day Vipassana meditation retreat, so a silent meditation. And I came out of that and I'm like, that was, that was the, the missing, that was the final piece of the puzzle that I needed to pull all my work together. So, um, yeah, I guess... That's going through that experience and and sitting down and listening to the the learnings every night and yeah it was just I know it just made sense to me really so so do you, you practice mindfulness every day or med, do you meditate every day? It's funny so many people ask me oh, how often do you meditate and I'm like honestly not that much because I live a very meditative life I don't need it as a as a band aid as such. Um, I practice being present. I, I operate personally. I've completely restructured my belief system and it's a very philosophical one now. Something I do is um, I lived in Thailand earlier this year for two months and I came back and, and lived then off the philosophy of I just want to live life as slowly as possible. And so from there, that's given me the capacity just to wake up each and every day and just to see what life brings that day 
not having any attachments to any desired outcomes or, or not expecting this or that or not thinking that this should or shouldn't happen. And living that way is, is so meditative of its own accord. Mm. So you don't get wound up to the point where you need to go and meditate. Mm. Um, I still enjoy meditating. I still very much love closing my eyes and disappearing, but uh, I'd actually prefer to have my eyes open and to, to be experiencing time as it happens. Excellent. The military experience, um, what, what was it that was going on for you there in terms of leaving the military and, um, you know, and, and did you leave it all behind? No, it took a lot with me because there's so much value in it. So um, it sucked at the time. It was pretty painful. But, um, you know, another, one of my personal philosophies is to try and find the value out of every experience. I don't believe that there's a good or bad experience. There's just a, a, a lesson and some things that we can learn or or not. So, yeah, at the, at the time... Um, uh, my entry into the army was an interesting one because I, I was sort of a bit lost uh, and confused as a kid. And I, I, a friend of my sister's boyfriend at the time was a few years older and he sort of saw that I was losing my way and he was in the army reserves and he suggested I join the army reserves. So I was pretty fit before I joined, but then um, you know, going through 13-week boot camp, it was I came out hyper-fit and with some discipline all of a sudden and some... Yeah, with some capacities to make it about others instead of just being all about me. And I joined the reserves, and then we made a pact so that we were going to join the full time army. And then he he passed away; he got um, killed on a motorbike. So I, you know, a pivotal moment in my life was following through with that with that promise. Um, so I signed up and and joined full time and got shipped off to Darwin. And it was a very enlightening experience. Uh, I sort of learnt that it takes a special kind of person to stay in the army and I admire and respect them, but it was a, a very single-minded thing. You know, it was a, you all have to operate on the same page for obvious reasons. And I guess my, my personality was a bit more aloof, especially back then, you know, being the, the clown that I was and uh, being open-minded sensitive and all this sort of stuff i love the athleticism i loved the work that i did but i struggled to fit in so once i i did my knee um and was sort of thrown on the scrap heap i became a pretty easy target and that's i didn't realize at the time that the physical trauma i experienced also had a, an emotional trauma with it in that instance i lost you know, what I thought was my career, I lost a, a passion which was running. Um, I lost a lot of mates because uh, they realised I was a target and didn't want to sort of be collateral damage. Uh, so there's a lot of psychological um, suffering happening that, that no one could see. So, and then add to that, um, you know, the bastardisation that took place and the, the toxic. Um, masculinity kicked in and all of a sudden you know it's just uh, they make life as difficult as possible for you um until i finally was was discharged with anxiety and depression and a, and a permanent leg injury so 
but then you sort of sent back out into Sydney Street with no support. Uh, well, back back then there was, there was no support. So yeah, off I went and yeah, it sort of took about six years to to spiral down into rock bottom, and um, which was yeah, back in Mornington. So. The army was really important. People keep asking me, hey, "Did you like the army?" And I, I did. I loved. I loved lots of elements of it. But um, what I've since learnt is that there's there's things you can control and there's things you can't control. And, and I was so uh, reactive. I was so not in my power. I let so much dictate how I felt. Um, which led to uh, me, me, my mental health deteriorating to the point where it became a mental illness and I had agoraphobia and suicidal thoughts and, yeah, I literally couldn't leave my house. So that was, that was an interesting rebuild from there. So it was a, sort of another, another metanoia moment. Yeah, I love that word. I'm going to be Googling that afterwards because I'm really interested in that. Um, so you really did hit rock bottom then. I mean, it, you know, it, it's not just an expression. It was, it, you were really, really at the, your lowest ebb. Yeah, well, I, was, I mean, what triggered it, I guess, um, it was always there, but what triggered it was I realised I was entitled to um, some support from Department of Veterans Affairs and I never knew that I never received that, that help. And once I started engaging with them and trying to receive that help, uh, such a massive system that uh, it can't care for everybody. It can't care for anybody, really. So it's uh, it pretty much just crushed me and ate me out and spat me out. Um, and what what's, uh, created the... The agoraphobia, well, my mind created the agoraphobia, but the stimulus for that um, was the letters I was receiving from DBA. And so I got to the point where my anxiety got to the point where it stopped me from leaving the house to go and check the mailbox because I was so afraid of, of what, what I'd say. Yeah, I was so codependent on them yeah, for, for many different reasons. So... Yeah, I was talking to someone about it yesterday and it was, it was literally, imagine being in a room and there's, the door works fine, the windows open and shut, but you there's an imaginary barrier that doesn't allow you to, to walk out of that room. And it's, it's incredible how powerful our minds are and, and what we can create and manifest on that level. But in saying that, we can create the same on the opposite end of the spectrum. So. 100% agree with that. Yeah, I think it's true. I think it's so misunderstood, Nick, that what we create in our own minds, a lot of the time is just bullshit. And so if we're going to come up with this kind of shit, we may as well just turn it around, you know, and, and, and make up good shit because it's all we're doing anyway. Yeah, I love the, the quote that we suffer more in imagination than in reality. Exactly. And, and But, you know, what I'm saying with my clients and, and through my own experience was that we don't know any better. We are literally doing the best we can. No one's consciously waking up every day going, I am going to choose to suffer. I'm going to choose to make this stuff out. It happens on autopilot, and that's why I've broken it down to those five fundamental things because um, it's so much easier to explain and to, to see what's happening. And, and it 
resonates with people and they get it. They go, oh, right, that's what, okay, cool. And this is what I can do differently. And yeah, no one, no one's choosing. Like my, my dad didn't wake up every day and go, I'm going to make my kid's life miserable. Yeah, yeah. And once I got past that and wrapped my head around that and understood that and realised that he wasn't put on this planet to make me happy, then everything changed. God, you've really, you've, you've done a whole 360 degree and then some, haven't you? When you look back, when you look back at those times, what, what is it you kind of wish that you knew then? You know, with, with all of, it was no, you see it as part of your journey. Yeah, no, I, I say to people, I, uh, I'm not a sadist, but I love all the trauma that I've experienced because without it, I wouldn't be the person I am today. So I, I wouldn't want anything to be different. And we're not, you know, another, another quote I love is that adulthood is just undoing everything that happened to us in childhood. I think we, it, it all happens for a reason. There's a purpose to it all. And, and, People either find a purpose and thrive and evolve and grow and, you know, get to a much better place or people stay stuck. And um, all I'm trying to do is to, to create a climate of change and to facilitate this change and say to people, there's another path, guys, and, and it's a hard path. And I'm writing a book at the moment called The Hard Path to Happiness. Yeah. And... That's all about, you know, it's easy to sit on the couch and it's easy to get physically unwell um, and eat junk food and, and not move. And it's just as easy to become mentally unwell and for your mental health to deteriorate. It's easy to get angry. It's easy to get upset. It's easy to blame and to judge and to take things personally. It's so much harder to sit there and to look at someone who's calling your name and to go, no, oh, this isn't about me. This is actually about you. And you're suffering, you're hurting inside, and you're projecting that onto me. So instead of meeting you on that level, I'm actually going to ask how you're feeling and do you want to talk about something and, hey, maybe have a hug. And it can, takes a completely different path, but it's, it's a much harder path, yeah. Yeah. So you're writing a book? Yeah. How yeah. far into the book are you? Oh, I've stopped and started and thrown it out and started again a few times and, so it's just, I'm just trying to unpack everything that's in my head and in a focused, coherent way. So I've got it all there. It's just, uh, it's just, yeah, releasing it in a way that people understand it and resonate with it. So I've just got to stop overthinking it, basically, because I keep going, oh, it's going to be perfect, and da, 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 but it doesn't. It just has to, has to get out there. So, so you still find yourself challenging your fixed beliefs as well yeah if if i don't then i'll stop i'll become stagnant um so yeah none of us are perfect i i have i have thoughts of doubt and um oh should i be doing this is this the right thing i have all the same thoughts as everyone else but um i let them go and i i focus on the more positive and helpful thoughts now but yeah, they're still there and they're, they're always going to be there because we're all human. I'm sure the Dalai Lama, the Dalai Lama has the same thoughts, that, but you're just not as aware of them as other people. How did you get, because we, we got kind of got in touch because of, um, because of the trademark guys, because of Ed and Dan. Um, how did you get to know Ed and Dan? Can you tell us a bit about that? 
very quickly. I got to know them. <laughs> uh, no, it was, oh, uh, so long story short, I saw a, a Channel 7 clip of them on Facebook or something um, and loved what they were doing and sent a message saying, hey, guys, if there's anything you need to help, blah, blah, blah. Few back and forth, then they arranged for me to come up there and meet them. Um, and the, I think the day or two days before I was due to fly up there, they went, oh, actually, we're going to be in China when you're meant to come up. So, so I said, well, I'm still coming up. Is there anyone else I can talk to? So I ended up chatting with their, their business uh, mentor, Pete. And so we sort of interviewed each other a little bit, which probably worked out better than me meeting the boys straight off the, off the bat. And I came back and then we scarped a bit more Then the boys came down and I was running a six-week group program uh, and the timing just so happened that I could sit in on the last um, of this, the last class of that six-week thing so they could see how all the fundamentals came together and you know, they could see the, the meditation and everything that I was doing and I just I could see their eyes opening and lighting up and going, oh, my God, this is... This is different, and why it was important for me, I guess, to to work with them. I, I saw a massive potential in what they could do with their, their shirts and the awareness they could create. But there's so many organisations out there that are, you know, we don't need more reminding that likes are killing themselves. We need to create a shift, and we need to create change. So I was like, look, you can you can you can be another awareness mob, or you know, we can sort of work together and you can create the awareness and then I'll create the education and collectively we can create a shift uh, and, to, and to make a real change. So, yeah, that resonated with them and it turned out we're actually, we have, all have a similar sense of humour. We love Jim Carrey and um, you know, they came down to Melbourne and we went out for dinner and had a few beers and... Yeah, we're wrestling back in the hotel room by the end of the night and just like, you know, we've known each other for ages. So it's been a really good fit and I love they've they've both just finished going through a six week program. Um so they have a better understanding of, of all of this now. And listening to them on on your podcast, I was like, the cheeky bastards, they're just mimicking everything that I'm saying, like everything that I've talked about. So that's where I thought, oh, I might get in touch and you know, do a follow-up one. And, yeah, and go, oh, we're glad you did. Go a bit deeper into the mental health stuff. So, yeah, I think you know, the way where they're coming at it from is really important. Um, and, but what I can bring and add to that, uh, I think we can achieve a lot together. One of the things that, um, that they were saying is when I asked them a question about stigma, they were they were very clear in their message around um, not using the word stigma, um, and I think I think they actually said that, that that had come from you. Was that is that one of your messages? Can you tell us about your your um, your approach to stigma and, and and hating the word so much? Well, yeah, I don't hate it. I just don't see any value in it. Going back to my work and myself, and I think we can come up with things from two places: love and empathy, or hate and anger, and and fear. Um, and most people choose the fear and anger. And, you know, you look at marketing, or there's a FOMO, and there's the, the fashion industry. You know, it's all the latest trends. You're never good enough. You always have to buy this. And I don't like that approach. I don't like um, trying to facilitate change based on fear. 
uh, and when I got in touch with the boys and they were talk, they were using them with stigma and everything. And you know, what are the statistics and everything? I said, can we, can we turn left instead of right? Can we not use statistics to make people afraid of of mental health um, and to use the word stigma because it's it's easier to change a perception than it is to break a stigma and. And that's all people have is a perception of mental health. When, when the boys and I did a couple of presentations in Brisbane a few weeks ago, the first thing I do is I ask who here has mental health and out of 150 students, I think about six put their hand up and they, they were students that were struggling with mental health issues. And then I'd say, okay, so what words come to mind when, when I say mental health and what do you think came up? Oh, they would have said depression, anxiety. They wouldn't have had any, it wouldn't have been any concept that we all have mental health and mental illness is a different thing. Yeah, so it was suicide, PTSD, bipolar, anxiety, depression, all the negative connotations. And I said to them, you realise happiness and joy and peace and equanimity and all of these things are mental health as well. And what? I said, so if people have this perception that mental health is all doom and gloom, then of course people are going to be afraid of it. But if we move that into a physical sense and we say, right, physical health is just broken legs and cancer and obesity and diabetes, no one's really going to want to talk about physical health. So I said to the boys, let's, let's sort of take a different approach and let's take a more educational uh, approach and, and just help people to learn and to, to change their perception. Very good, very good. You've recently been to Wales, haven't you? When I spoke to you on the phone to set this up, you were going off to Wales for a, it was golf, wasn't it? It was a golf thing. Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, so there's a, an organisation called Soldier On, uh, so that helps uh, ex-military personnel who are, um, have a physical or mental impairment. Um, and, yeah, that's, they have golfing days and catch-up coffees and this sort of thing and uh there's a email sent out to apply for the australian soldier on golf team and somehow i i jagged a spot on that um so we yeah we, we 10 of us plus some support crew went to wales and we took on the the english equivalent or the uk equivalent which is called battle back um so yeah we flew over saturday landed sunday played four rounds of golf and turned around and flew home <laughs> and how was your golf? Did you do well? Pretty well, yeah. The, the UK guys beat us. Um, but bloody I think, yeah, bloody palms. I think <laughs> golf was secondary. It was, you know, playing alongside a guy with one arm who's hitting it down the middle. And got, I, I, I got out, um, I was discharged. I was injured just a couple of days before his team, also. My unit was due to deploy just before his team, and I got out in 2003 I think so I didn't experience any Afghanistan or Iraq or whatever and you know, the best part of the trip was just listening to these guys and um, what they'd been through and you know the guy had copped five bullets in the one leg and the guy had you know, double amputees and lost both his legs and single amputees but you know, they were all still smiling and, and laughing taking the piss out of each other and um, it was it was really refreshing to be around such positive people. And I remember, I forgot how bad English food was. Um, 
And I, I sat down to dinner and I looked at this plate of food. And what did you bean. have? A Yorkshire pudding or yeah. something? No, no, the Yorkshire pudding was good, but there's this bean that was shriveled to within an inch of its life. And I, I was just about to tell the bloke next to me, have a look at this thing. And then I looked around the table and realised uh, how grateful I was to actually be there. And, <laughs> you took uh, check of yourself. Well, I had to. I had to. I've got nothing. I can't complain about it being when the dude <laughs> using, using one arm to, you know, to eat his oh, food. Oh, that's great. So I just put things into context, which was, which was good. So, yeah, it was an amazing trip and very, very fortunate to, to have been. And hopefully I can get involved and they come over here next year and uh, hopefully I can get involved in, in creating, um, yeah, being a part of that. And we're going to try and add a meditation element to it. And, Try and make it a bit healthier because there was quite a lot of beer going down range, and yeah, I thought if we can maybe add a health component a ba- to it, bit and, of a balance, uh, bit of balance, yeah, and, and nicer beans. So, <laughs> so I've got, I've just got a couple more um, things to cover before we finish. But I, I'm actually, as we were talking there, I was thinking to myself, well, I wonder what Nick thinks of mainstream psychiatry. Do you have a view on mainstream psychiatry and treatments? current treatments for mental health because you're very left field which is brilliant and refreshing but do you have a view on that or is it something that you're just really not not concerned with that's you probably hit the nail on the head there i don't i don't tend to dive into other people's work or do that i, I respect that we're all just doing doing the best we can and in reality none of us have a fucking clue what we're doing you know, really, like the, we're all so different and unique. There's not a cookie cutter methodology that's going to work. My program isn't the best for everybody out there. It, it works with a lot of people and resonates and helps. But yeah, I, don't know, I just I, I never went down the the medication path. My views on medication are: I think it's it's good to stabilise people that are, that are in trauma and. So, so we can access them, but then, yeah, we need to educate them and change the way they perceive and think and experience and respond and all that. And medication can't do that. So, um, I, yeah, I, I don't have a view on psychiatry because I'd be speaking from ignorance. I don't know enough about it. I'm, I'm, I'm not um, in that field and, and have no interest in it, to be honest. I, yeah. I love I do, and I love how what I do impacts and affects people, and, and that's enough for me. I'm pretty content with my own little niche. So, as long as whatever whatever people are doing, as long as it helps people, yeah, I agree. Then it's then it's the right thing. So, yeah, I agree. Um, and I guess what um, my final kind of question, or, or you know, or topic I want us to look at is. Um, which something that I've, I've tended to cover in, in a lot of the podcasts that we've done. If there are people that are listening to our podcasts that are struggling, so they might be struggling with their own um, mental health or decline in mental health, or they might be struggling with suicidal thoughts. Do you have a message for, for anyone out there in terms of um, reaching out? Yeah, take the hard path. Um, it's, it's, it's easy. It would have been easy for me to, to follow through with the, the thoughts that I was entertaining at the time. And, um, yeah, I took, I sort of tell people it takes more strength to let go than it takes to hold on. And if we can let go of 
of the fears that we have and the insecurities and uh, especially blokes. That's why I love the work that we're doing with the trademark boys because we're we're trying to teach blokes that there's a there's a, a different way to do it. You don't have to be afraid and live in fear and um, yeah, it's gonna suck at the initially, but you take the hard path and things get easier, or you take the easy path and things get harder. So uh, yeah, if anyone is struggling, it's just no one can help you if if you keep wearing a mask and keep saying that everything is okay, um, unless someone can read your thoughts and really is really perceptive. But um, yeah, it's just I think with the people with that are contemplating suicide, what what we've learnt is that no one actually wants to end or extinguish their life force. Um, they just want to end the life that they're living. And in order to do that, you have to go through a process. As I've done twice, you've got to break down. You've got to, the, the foundation that you're built upon isn't conducive with you living a sustainably happy and healthy life. So you've got to go somewhere and, and feel safe and secure enough to break down, go through a process where you can then rebuild that foundation to something that's going to you know, support you. And I went through a pretty toxic marriage uh, a year or two ago and um, you know, I went back to the five fundamentals and practised all of this stuff and, and actually came out the other side of it a much better person and, and I wish my ex-partner all the best and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, going from where I've been, unable to leave a house and, and think of the least messiest way to, to leave this planet um, to being in a position where if I can do it, anyone can do it. Um, what a great message. Thank you so much, Nick, for joining us for the, the podcast, Careers and Mental Health Conversations. It's just been a blast. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast and you would like us to appear in your feed, please hit the subscribe button and you're also welcome to leave us a review. For more information, visit careerdevelopmentcentre.com.au.